0: Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus.
1: Deep, your grace is more. your grace is found, is where.
2: You stay.
0: In uh, 1 Timothy 4, we're going to dismiss the kids at this time for their programming, all the way up through third grade. We uh, ended last week's study uh, in 1 Timothy 4, verse 16, which uh, reads this, Keep a close watch on how you live and on your teaching. Stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation and the salvation of those who hear you. Since we began this study, we have, uh, especially as we jumped into 1st and 2nd Timothy, we have been talking a lot about keeping uh, Jesus as the central message of all that we talk about. Um, I, on a side note, I hope that you're observing that what should be being preached from the pulpits is very limited if you do it God's way. There's not a lot of scripture, the New Testament doesn't give a lot of room for pastors to get up here and talk about whatever they want. Their job is to proclaim Jesus Christ to the lost, and then the found to remind them that Jesus Christ is still on his throne. When we get off and wax political or socioeconomic, or we get off and start talking about the wrongs that are going on, we are in fact, according to the New Testament, off message, off uh, We have seen from 1 Timothy so far up to chapter 5 where we find ourselves this morning that Jesus is the point and all other doctrines are often used by Satan as distractions and dividers within the family of God. We even learn that Satan wants to introduce legalisms into the teachings and discussions of the church so that no matter what we do, we're not talking about Jesus. You have to understand, and I want you to understand, you're in a war And you are in a war with a very cunning enemy. As the children of God, Satan knows he can't have your soul. So what does he want? The second most important thing, your attention. He wants you distracted. He doesn't mean, I I remember growing up in the church and the idea was Satan wanted us to worship him in Southern California. You know, there's satanic covens going on and we need to guard ourselves, kids from him. Let me be clear. Satan doesn't care if you worship him or not. He just doesn't want you worshiping Christ as Lord of your life. He wants you off message, and and he introduces legalisms into the church, and and, and this point of all of this, whether it's political or socioeconomic or social justice or legalisms, is simply that we are not talking about Jesus Christ. Paul began his letter by pointing out the central truth that Timothy, and we need to keep zeroed in on in 1 Timothy 1.15. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it let me rephrase that. This is the one thing that we all must agree on. This is the thing that we all should come to terms with. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's it. That's the point. We're sinners. Jesus came to save us. We pretty much all agree on that in this room. We also agree that church has always struggled with staying on message, and a significant part of what Paul wants to communicate to Pastor Tim here in this letter is to stay talking about Jesus, But this verse we ended with last Sunday actually says there's a second responsibility. And that's what I want to talk about this morning because that's actually what most of 1 Timothy 5 talks about. Look again at 1 Timothy 4.16, last week's last verse. Keep a close watch on how you live and on your teaching. we, We can jump to the teaching, but there's another instruction here for us. From Paul to Timothy, for shepherds, keep a close eye on a uh, watch on how you live and on your teaching. Stay true to what's right for the sake of your own salvation and the salvation of those who hear you. This actually isn't the first time Paul even mentioned this to Pastor Tim, this other thing. In 1 Timothy 1, uh, verse 18 to 20, look at these verses with me. Timothy, my son, here are my instructions for you based upon the prophetic word spoken about you earlier. May they help you fight well the Lord's battles. Cling to your faith in Christ. That's your teaching. That's your faith. That's what you believe. Cling to that. And second thing, keep your conscience clear. For some people have deliberately violated their consciences, and as a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. And if you look around there and you look into this, what he's talking about is, and you've seen it in your life, pastors who who, who are trying to minister but shipwreck their ministries and their marriages by having affairs. If you desire, uh, violate your conscience and you feed your flesh, you will shipwreck your testimony, your faith, you'll shipwreck your ministry. And he's warning him, he's warning Timothy to understand not only what he teaches uh, is important and he needs to pay special attention that he keeps it central on Christ, but also how he lives. In this part of the letter, Paul equates violating their, uh, his conscience and shipwrecking his ministry and life with blaspheming God in the very next verse. I mean, that's a pretty intense thing to say. How we behave, how we treat each other and others matters as well as what we say we believe. It's not just our words and the truths that we teach. Our lives matter as well as we go out and fulfill God's task for our lives. In fact, in recent weeks, I have shown you a really odd part of Jesus' prayer to uh, to his Father in the final hours before his arrest from John 17. Look at these verses with me again. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will believe in me through their message. That's us. I pray that they will be one just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so the world will believe that you sent me. How we live specifically how we treat each other apparently is evidence of jesus being who we claim he is And, and and look this shouldn't be a shock to us because i'm as sick of hypocrisy as you are i am tired of hearing people preach on something and finding out they're doing it in secret and so are you Most of us are not tired of people in the flock doing it. We're tired of people in the pulpit doing it. But I got to tell you, I'm just as tired of Christians claiming to be walking with God who are sleeping with other people's spouses. It's enough. If we want the world to believe this is true, we've got to believe it's true. And if we believe it's true, it affects how we live and the decisions we make. So Paul wraps up his instructions to Pastor Tim on keeping the message of true faith and salvation being by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, he adds that they need to keep a close eye on how they lived. And he gets specific on what things are concerning him about the church of Ephesus in 1 Timothy 5, which is this morning's text. Follow along. Never speak harshly to an older man, but appeal to him respectfully as you would your own father. Talk to a younger man as you would your own brothers. Treat older women as you would your mother, and treat younger women as with all purity as you would your own sisters. Verse 3 Take care of any widow who has no one else to care for her. But if she has children or grandchildren, their first responsibility is to show godliness at home and repay their parents by taking care of them. This is something that pleases God. Now, a true widow. A woman who is truly alone in this world has placed her hope in God. She prays night and day asking God for his help. But the widow who lives only for pleasure is spiritually dead even while she lives. Give these instructions to the church so that no one will be open to criticism. Verse eight, but those who won't care for their relatives, especially of their own household, have denied the true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. A widow who is put on the list for support must be a woman who is at least 60 years old and was faithful to her husband. She must be well-respected by everyone because of the good she has done. Has has she brought up her children well? Has she been kept to strangers and served, uh, has she been kind to strangers and served others, uh, believers humbly? Has she helped those who are in trouble? Has she always been ready to do good? Verse 11, the younger widows should not be put on the list because their physical desires will overpower their devotion to Christ and they will want to remarry. Then they will be guilty of breaking their previous pledge. And if they are on the list, They will learn to be lazy and will spend their time gossiping from house to house, meddling in other people's business and talking about things that they shouldn't. So I advise these younger widows to marry again, have children and take care of their own homes. Then the enemy will not be able to say anything against them. For I am afraid that some of them have already gone astray and and now follow Satan. If a woman who is a believer has relatives who are widows, she must take care of them and not put the responsibility on the church. Then the church can care for the widows who are truly alone. Let's pray together. Father, I ask you this morning to help us understand uh, not the letter of, of the law, but the spirit of the word. I pray that, I pray that we would understand, Father, uh, what, what, uh, what is in here for us, Father. Help us to glean the truths from this scripture. Help us to uh, serve each other. Help us to not only um, serve you in word, but in deed as well. Uh, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. How we treat each other inside of the body of christ matters it matters as jesus said in john it is a part of the evidence to the lost person that we actually mean what we say god actually sent jesus as we claim he did as the world watches the body of christ minister to each other love each other serve each other as they watch us meander through life together, from all different socioeconomic classes, from all different political sides, from all different doctrinal backgrounds, as the world sees us come together surrounding, uh, circling one truth, Jesus Christ came to save sinners, they want to know how is it possible that a group of people can do this. And it points them to the supernatural power of Jesus Christ. Man, we love to talk in the church. We love even to spread the gospel through creative preaching and programming and through concerts and even outreaches and helping the needy. But what about how we live? I mean, inside of the body of Christ. What about that? I I know that none of you have done this in your families, but there has been time in our family's history where behind closed doors, the Wilkies weren't getting along because one of the kids was out of line or something. It wasn't the parents, but it was the kids but but we'll be fighting, and sure enough, somebody comes to the door, and you know what? You would think we were awesome, <laughs> and you're laughing because you've been there, and you know, here's the thing. That person that came to the door at four in the morning to sell me Suddenlink television may never know, but what does that say to my kids about the truth of this faith? You know, it, it is amazing to me how much we have tolerated in the church for years how much hate in the name of communicating with each other, business meetings, uh, colors on walls, as we talked about, uh, music, uh, how much hate there has been in the name of we just got to share our hearts. Without understanding that we're not here to get what we want, we're here to serve others in love. This is not just suggested But it actually seems to be central to the the testimony of our faith. You know, I'm not going to go there this morning, but actually 1 Corinthians 14 and 15 talks about the unrepentant man coming and worshiping among us, sitting among us as we worship, and all of God's peoples are exercising their gifts. It says that the unrepentant man or woman will fall on their knees and want to know God. Something about not just the word said, but the spirit that is working. Scripture says that where the spirit of the Lord is, there's peace. Let me give you a little warning this morning. I am not telling you this morning, that you need to work harder at loving each other, I'm simply telling you that if, in fact, as we work through this text, you find out that we're not as loving as we should be, we need to go to God and ask him to transform us. Too often, at the end of a message, we hear, I gotta get better at this, and I'm here to tell you, you should say that, but instead of fixing it, go to the God who fixes everything. God is the one who owns this church. He's given his spirit to you to transform you. And I can convince you every day of the week how how much you're falling short. You know that. But too often we try to figure out what it is we're supposed to do and go about changing it without involving God. And I want to say that it's not just the Word of God, the story that Jesus Christ came to save sinners that matters. It is also how we interrelate with each other that matters. People are watching. Other Christians are watching. We are watching. Our children are watching. Our infants are watching. How we relate to each other proclaims whether or not we even believe this. I shared with you a a few weeks ago something that I've been learning. Uh, There are basically three things that make up culture. One is beliefs. Number two is values. And number three is behavioral patterns. And if, and, and I shared with you that in surveys taken, if you were to ask the average person which of those three are most important, most people would say, well, values and beliefs. And that's not true. If you want to know what you really believe, look at how you live. If you actually believe that Jesus Christ saved you from sin that was destroying you, you're going to run from sin. If you believe hell is your problem, you're going to get saved from hell and you're going to go on sinning. Right? No matter how many times you say, Jesus Christ came to save me from sin, if you continue sinning, you don't really believe sin is bad. You don't really think it's killing you. How do I know? Because of your behavioral patterns. If you say you love your wife, but you keep committing adultery, you don't love your wife. But I do. I didn't say you didn't have feelings for her. I said you don't love her. Love involves sacrifice. Love involves putting her before yourself, your own wants and desires. Love involves service. And it's really, really easy for us to actually go, that's right, preacher, we need to talk about Jesus coming to save sinners. That's right. Well, Paul actually inflicted in there, added in there, that it's not just our verbal rhetoric, it's our life rhetoric. In Romans chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, Paul actually says this there as well. Don't just pretend to love others, really love them Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is true. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. And by the way, this is not talking about your relationship with the world. This is talking about our relationship with the body of Christ. This, This isn't about the world. This is about God's family, the church. There are obviously instructions for us to love the lost. That's true. But we're to love the lost because Jesus loves them. Even if you don't love the lost, you are to serve them because Christ's love for them should compel you, your daddy's love. So too often in the church we go, you need to love them. Even if you don't, your father does, so serve them anyway. I'm talking about the body of Christ. In 1 John, John says that if we claim to be in God, but we don't love each other, we're liars because the truth isn't in us. Who is the truth? God. If you are the temple of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's in you, you will love. Whenever somebody says to me, oh, you know, you're a pastor, I heard about Carpenter's Way. Are you, you know, do you go to church? No, I got saved when I was four, but I don't like the church. I immediately go, well, John says you're not saved. Oh, you do believe in works salvation. No, I believe in a salvation that works. If you have the Holy Spirit, you not only love God, but you love the church because the Holy Spirit loves the church. Not the organization, the people the body of Christ. There's something about the family of God that we have become that, that, that it really genuine changes us. Don't just pretend to love others, really love them. But why does it matter so much? I mean, why can't we just kind of cruise through life and, and sit in our corners? The answer is because it's not a club. This is not a program. This isn't even a religion. We are the family of God and that matters. It's real. A real father-child relationship is the center of your salvation. In, first, in Ephesians 1.5, it says that God's unchanging plan, his ultimate plan, his absolute core value, was not to keep you out of hell. It wasn't even to remove sin from your life. It was to make you his kid. That was his unchanging plan, to adopt you into his family. That's what he wanted to do. If you sat down with God in 10 seconds and I said, in one sentence, I want you to tell me what your plan was it would be to make you my kid. It would not be to keep you out of hell. It would not be for you to reach the lost. It would not be anything but that. The reason he sent Jesus, according to Ephesians chapter 1, is to accomplish his ultimate plan, and that is to make you his son or daughter. That was his ultimate plan. At the center of your salvation is a father-son or father-daughter relationship with the living God. And at the center of him birthing the church at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 was our relationship with each other. It's the center of church life. It's the center of why we gather. I had a call from a friend of mine. Our kid used to be in my youth group this last week about, uh, uh, and this is going to get close to home because uh, many of you have been involved in ministries like this, and they're going through a debate in their church about are we going to be seeker-sensitive versus seeker-driven, and their church is moving into a seeker-driven model, and just to Long story short, basically what that means is we, we, the church needs to be aware that lost people come in and they don't understand our words. We use words like atonement and redemption and, and, and salvation, and they're like, you know, I think I kind of get it, but they don't ask because they're too embarrassed to ask. We need to use words that people get who aren't religious people. You understand that? That's seeker-sensitive. People need to come in and be ex- instructed or else they sit in the back and wonder what the heck's going on around here. But then there's another level, and that's called seeker-driven. That means everything we do is to reach the seeker, and this church is moving into a time where everything from parking lot uh, to every Sunday school class to everything they do is about making sure that the lost person feels welcome. That's not biblical. It may grow your church, but it's not biblical, because I tell you this morning that if all we do is look for visitors and all we do is reach out to visitors, we will never reach in and build each other up, which is the purpose for our gathering. You see, God invented the church to help you here so that you could survive out there. This is where you come to be refreshed. This is where you come to be encouraged. This is where you come to get loved on. If all we do is reach the lost, when do the found get loved on? We'll be loved on in heaven. God didn't leave it that way. That's why we gather. And our priority isn't actually as we gather love on them. It's to love on each other. It's it's central, and I would like to just throw out there this idea that one of the ways that Satan keeps the local body of Christ off message is by getting us to think that Sunday morning is about evangelism. It's not a bad thing, it's just not the central thing. The central thing is for us to look each other in the eye and say, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Didn't your whole family just die in a plane crash? Yes, but God is good. Wow. You're lying to me and yourself and you hug them. There, there's a reality. Life is real. It's hard. It's painful. It's difficult. We come from different political points of view, and sometimes half, every Sunday, half of us are discouraged at what's going on, and half of us are celebrating, and people really have different points of view. You're opening the scriptures, and you start questioning things you've been taught your whole life. This is the place you come to discuss those things, and you know what? There's a lot of stuff in scripture that isn't clear. Do you know why it's not clear? Because God doesn't want it clear. He doesn't want to clear. About three-quarters of you believe in the rapture. The other 25% aren't sure how he's going to come back. Do you know why we're not clear on the rapture? Because God doesn't want us clear on the rapture. Well, why wouldn't he want me clear on the rapture? Because you're not in control. Your job is to trust. But there is one thing you can know. Salvation. It's by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's the central message of the church. There's a million different ways we can take scripture to teach us how to raise our kids. There's one way to how to get saved. There's a hundred different ways to talk about how God saves the lost, whether it's Calvin or Arminius. But there's one way scripture says a person gets saved. And it's clear. Through God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and all the other stuff. How many angels can stand on the head of a pen? Fun discussion. Absolutely worthless. Can God, being completely sovereign and without weakness, make a rock so big, since He can do anything, He can't pick it up? Fun. Useless. And churches split over that stuff. Why? Because we're not rallying around the one thing that's clear in Scripture salvation. As a result, somebody's laughing back there, and I want to start giggling. Don't you love hearing kids? Look, off message, off point, rabbit trail. Do you realize how much happens on Sunday morning while you sit in here? I mean, there are babies right now that are being loved on in safe environments. There are children being taught. They're being sung to by other people. They're being read stories. How cool is that? There is nothing like the body of Christ when she's functioning. So cool. Now, somebody go tell them to quiet down. It is an amazing... It is an amazing thing that we have been called to. And, and, and by, by allowing the world to distract, we forget the central message of the church and we forget what a privilege it is. God's plan to adopt us means that our relationship with him is central. It's not religious. It's not an organization. It's personal. And, and at the center of why we gather is relation, relationships. It's been personal from God to us, us to him, and us each other. We have to take care of each other as we go about our task and wait to go home. And Paul addresses some of the family issues that are going on in Ephesus, beginning with the way people are talking to each other. Just so you know, the church in Ephesus was a mess. The New Testament church was a mess, which is why he gave instructions. Listen to his instructions in verses 1 and 2 for them. Never speak harshly to an older man. Question, why does Paul start his instructions to Timothy on how how, uh, young men should speak to older men? Because it was a problem. He's not making this stuff up. We have a fight going on. You're just an old guy. Well, you're just a young whippersnapper. I remember fighting in the war. I could rip you in two. You and what army? It's going on there just like it is here. So he instructs them. Never speak harshly to an older man, but appeal to him respectfully as you would your own father. Talk to a younger man as you would your own brothers. Treat older women as you would your mother, and treat younger women with all purity as you would your own sisters. This is not a complicated concept. It needs zero explanation. Paul simply wants the believers at First Church of Ephesus to treat each other as family, as family. When you talk to an older man, Pastor Timothy, treat him as you would your own father. Doesn't mean you don't confront him, but you confront him like a love relationship with your dad. I understand some of you don't have a good relationship with your dad, so you don't fathom that. But everybody has a fantasy of what it should be like. That's what it's supposed to be like. Let yourself dream. What you never had can be had within the body of Christ. He tells him to talk to the younger men as you would younger, uh, your younger brothers. He tells him to treat the older women as you would your own mom. And I think this is a very, very good one, this last one. It's one we skip over. You're to treat the younger girls in the church not by hitting on them, but with purity. When a girl walks in the church, men, you don't go, she looks hot today. That's your little sister. And, and too often, this is kind of a, a it's a club, it's like, hey, where do you hang out on Sundays? Well, I go to Carpenter's Way Baptist Church. Oh, I go to Carpenter's Way Baptist Church. Oh, I've never seen you before. That's great. Where do you sit? Over here. I sit with young people. It's, 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 it's not a club. This is a family. We are to take care of each other. I, I love the practical nature of this, how we talk to each other. And I think it, it gets 10 times more practical in men, how you look at the young women in the church. He's saying that. And why does he say that to the first church of Ephesus? Because it's a problem. 1 Timothy 2 1 to 10. Or 1 Peter 2 1 to 10. Peter says the same thing. Follow along. Get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and unkind speech. Like newborn babes, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you have tasted of the Lord's kindness. This is last week's message. Remember, Paul told Timothy to train himself with spiritual training. I I made the very creative and first time ever joke about being in God's gym. It was very, very good. None of you talked about it on Facebook, so I'm gonna say it again. As God's kids, you gotta go to God's gym. (laughs) That's so creative. You are so lucky that I'm preaching. <laughs> but then he, then he moves on. Verse 4, you are coming to Christ, who, in this, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into a spiritual temple. You, plural, are living stones that God is making into his temple. Okay, So not only are you not attending by yourself on Sunday mornings and joining a group of people for learning and stuff, but you are being built into one big temple. You as the temple of the Holy Spirit are being built into a temple. You know what temples do? They proclaim God. It is the place people, the lost uh, seekers can, can find out where there's hope. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are becoming the temple of God as well. What's more, you are holy priests. Through uh, the uh, mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer sacrifices to please God. As the scriptures say, verse 6, I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts in him will never be discouraged. Yes, you who trust him recognize the honor God has given him. But for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And he is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. Jesus Christ is the problem of the message of the church. Just, just to be clear, that's what he's talking about. We are going to offend the world. We're going to offend some that gather with us. But it's an offense on Jesus. It's not an offense because you're a jerk. <laughs> I added jerk for emphasis. Did you catch that? I mean, you, you don't get points for being an idiot to the lost. That's not how you offend them. You offend them by telling the truth, and you draw them by telling the truth. The truth. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. Verse eight, he is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word and so they meet the fate that was was planned for them. Verse nine, but you are not like that for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. It's identity living. It's living out who we really, really are in Christ. It's identity lives. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Listen, you have a whole new identity in Christ, and we have a whole new identity in Christ. This is not just a place we gather. This is where the family of God gathers. We are the people of God coming together on a regular basis to encourage each other, to love on each other, and to remind each other that Daddy is coming back for us. He is not forgottenness that daddy knows what he's doing and he's on the throne that if nebuchadnezzar can be king so can trump if god can use that wicked man he can use this wicked man and all god's democrats said i mean the fact is god's not (laughs) i just threw that out for your appeasement the truth is god is not a republican democrat socialist he is theocracy you see the church is not a democracy it's a theocracy In other words, it is not anybody's job to figure out uh, what they're supposed to do to make us successful, to market us better. It is our job to make sure that God's will on earth is done. Remember when we went through the elders and the leadership of the church? It is the elder's job not to creatively figure out how to run this church. It is the elder's job to make sure that Jesus Christ is running this church. That is their primary responsibility. That's why they are given to the word in prayer. That's why the deacons are held accountable to the elders because the deacons make financial and fiscal decisions for the flock, but the elders say, wait a minute, that's not biblical. That's what we do. The elders are the supreme court of the church that makes sure that God, who is our constitution, his will is done. It's not complicated except when nobody's doing it that way. Jesus Christ is the only senior pastor of this church, not Mark Wilkie. I have raised my children and been fairly successful, but that doesn't mean I can tell you how to raise your kids, but I can tell you how to love God. And if you love God and your spouse loves God, it's going to change your marriage because you will start serving each other under the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you and your spouse serve each other under the power of the Holy Spirit and walk with God, it's going to affect your children. They may rebel, but they will be rebelling against Jesus Christ, not against you. In the church, we have added psychobabble with the fish on it. The truth is that what we do is we gather to remind each other that Jesus Christ came to save sinners, of which we're bad, a bad sinner. And by redeeming us, our message to encourage each other as we struggle with sin in our flesh, that God is still sufficient and he still redeemed us, which draws us to each other to love on each other. This isn't a place where you come and beat each other up. This is a place you come and hug each other and care for each other and remind each other that it is finished. It is still well with your souls. Can you imagine being a part of a church you weren't afraid to share your sin with? Can you imagine being a part of a flock where you could actually say, I'm struggling with porn and not have people go, oh, Everybody run for the alcohol. What if we actually understood that every one of us in this room were struggling with sin and God's grace is sufficient with different sins and you help me with mine and I help you with yours? What if we understood that you don't disappoint the church when you struggle and our job is to remind you that God's not disappointed in you get back in the game? That's what the church was invented for because our daddy is here this morning, but you can't touch him and see him. That's coming. That's coming, but it's not today. So what did he do? He left us with each other and structure and order so that we can keep each other going until it's our time to go home. We were not at one point people, a a nation, but now we are God's people, his people. Like your family is your people. This week, I heard the Christian song by Rodney Atkins, These Are My People, It's Where I Come From. None of you listen to country music. I am so disappointed. Ironically, the album title is like Out of Hell or something like that. It's true. Just to be clear, 150 years from now, you will be with each other. If your brother and sister in the blood of your family isn't saved, you will not be with them. This family is permanent. That family is not. This is the real deal. This isn't your second citizenship, second to America and the Republic of Texas. This is your only citizenship that matters. I'm not saying you don't vote or you don't get involved, I'm simply saying remember what matters. Remember what makes a difference a thousand years from now. This is a gift and Satan wants us to turn it into a political action committee, a frustrated group, a group of people that are hurting anything Anything. A group of people that are debating theology, a group or doctrine, not theology. A group of people that are debating everything except salvation in Christ alone. It gets a soft message. And Paul wanted to begin by telling him that you've got to get people to talk to each other, and you need to talk to each other as family, and you need to be careful, and you need others to be careful, not to be looking at the young women as future mates, but as their little sisters. Then he goes on. Because this church had a problem. They had a widow issue. 1 Timothy 5, 3-16. Take care of any widow who has no one else to care for her. This is the overriding principle for what he's about to say. Now he gets detailed on what that looks like. And we're going to just read through it, and I want to make a couple points. Verse 4. If she has children or grandchildren, their first responsibility is to show goodness at home and repay their parents by taking care of them. This is something that pleases God. So widows with children or grandchildren should be cared for, not by the church, but by them. Verse five, now a true widow, that is a widow who is truly alone in the world, has placed her hope in God. She prays night and day asking God for help. But the widow who lives only for pleasure is spiritually dead even while she lives. Give these instructions to the church so that no one will be open to criticism. Obviously, in First Church of Ephesus, they had women who were widows in the church, who are a little bit less morally pure than they should be. And he's telling them to knock it off. Verse 8, But those who won't care for their own relatives, back to that point, especially those in their own household, have denied the true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. In other words, how you treat your own blood family is part of your testimony. So these widow problems going on, the first group of people that we need to deal with are those with children or grandchildren. Tell them to deal with their own parents, with their own grandparents. Verse 9, A widow who is put on the list for support. Take a breath. Don't read by that fast. There was a list. For those of you who don't think the church is organized, has administration, that's what this is. There is a list. And widows who truly had nobody taking care of them were put on that list because we are to take care of each other, not just spiritually and emotionally, but physically. Those widows are put on the list for support. We call this benevolence. Things have not changed in 2,000 years. Only technology has keep reading. Verse 9, a widow who is put on the list for support, now this is going to offend some of you, so take a deep breath, must be a woman who is at least 60 years old and who is faithful to her husband. She must be well respected by everybody because of the good she has done. Has she brought up her children well? Has she been kind to strangers and served other believers humbly? Has she helped those who are in trouble? Has she always been ready to do good? For those of you who think that the benevolence of the church comes without conditions or strings, you aren't understanding what he's saying here. You see, the benevolence of the church absolutely comes with strengths. For those of you who think that the church shouldn't judge each other, you're not reading what Paul's telling Timothy. The truth is that these are conditions. Verse 9 and 10, the women have to be at least 60 years old to be on the list of financial support. They have to have been faithful to their husbands. She needs to be well-respected by everyone because of the good she's done. She must have brought her children up well. She needs to have been kind to strangers and served unbelievers humbly. She needs to have helped those who are in trouble. Has she always been ready to do good is one of the questions that they are to ask about who they support. So much for not judging. I want you to understand something. Our job as a family is to support each other spiritually, to lift each other up. That's going to involve judging. If we believe sin is destructive, then we're not going to sit by and let each other destroy ourselves. Well, I don't want people telling me what to do. Then do the right thing. Don't violate your conscience. Let me get real specific with problems we've had at Carpenter's Way Church. If you're checking out somebody else's wife across this room and you start sleeping with her, somebody's going to talk to you about that. You might as well leave now. Unless you decide to obey your conscience and what you know is right. Knock it off! We don't kill people and thank God for grace. Right? I mean, this is real. This is real. You are saved by, as a result of God's grace, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Absolutely. And salvation happens a moment in time when the Holy Spirit comes to live within you. That is awesome. But our job is to keep us from blowing each other's lives up. That's our jobs. If If I started beating Julie regularly, somebody in this church had better say, you can't beat your wife regularly. Well, you weren't married to her. You don't know what she's like. She deserves it. It's still not right, pastor. If you have a pastor who's struggling with sin, you should come alongside them and help them through their struggle, not fire them. We're family. If you're struggling with sin, you've got to have relationships enough where people can help you with that struggle. Is there anybody who hasn't struggled with sin this last month? If you say that, I will call you out and read scripture to you. Don't raise your hand. Warning. If you're here this morning from the Church of Wells, you're lying to yourself. And when you say, I don't struggle with sin, that's called pride. You just blew it. Listen, we all struggle with sin. Would you do me a favor? Would you look at the person next to you and say, you are a dirty sinner. Please. Okay. For those of you who are going, no, I'm not my identity in Christ. I am pure and holy. Just for a second, let me be human. Now everybody knows it. Quit pretending like you don't have a hard time. Stop it. Paul said in Romans 7, he struggled with sin. Our job is to lift each other up. And Paul is exemplifying it here in those who are getting financial help from the church. you got a bunch of women. they all want, They're all widows, and they're all hurting, and they all want money. Well, let me tell you something. Those who get resources from the church have to should have no family we shouldn't bleed the church just because people want an easy way and they don't want to be a burden to their family you're supposed to be a thorn in your family's side that's part of being family now you know thanksgiving is exactly what it's supposed to be (laughs) and it's the same in here we're supposed to struggle with each other under the umbrella of love That's why I tell you all the time, if all you're doing is coming to Sunday morning preaching, you're you're not really a part of the church. You need to go and meet people. You need to be with the youth group. You need to be with adults. You need to be with people who get to know you so they can say, you know, you look like you're having a rough week. Oh, I'm doing fine. No, you're not. I can tell. What's going on? That's what people who love each other do. That's what we do as the family. That's why we gather. And, And in this church... In this church, Paul wanted them to get back on message. But he also wanted them to understand that they need to take care of each other, but not everybody should be taken care of. He goes on, verse 11, younger younger widows should not be put on the list because their physical desires will overpower their devotion to Christ and they will want to remarry. Can we just, we're not going to get specific here because I get emails when I am, but let me just say this. Do you realize how real these scriptures are? I, you know, I mean, it's talking about somebody in, in, in still young, a woman who finds herself single and, and, and wants, wants a man to be partners with her in life and help her. You know, she wants to give him children and, and, and has normal desires that we all have. And it's practical. It's saying, don't help her, don't put her on the list, because if you start supporting her, it may keep her from doing what she needs to do get married, go on with your life. So practical. Because this is real, it's not religion. It's not organization. It's human beings who have been redeemed by God coming together to do life. How do we take care of each other? It's answering those questions. Verse uh, 12. Uh, they'll, uh, let, me, let me start 11 again. The younger widows should not be on the list because their physical desires will overpower their devotion to Christ and they will want to remarry. Then they will be guilty of breaking their previous pledge. Stop for a second. The previous pledge is not the first marriage because people, too many theologians or churches come out and go, you shouldn't remarry if if you end up a widow. That's not what he's saying. The thing is that if a woman was put on this list and supported, she had a full-time job. That's another thing we don't talk about. They didn't just give them money and send them on their way. They actually were required every day to come into the place of worship and pray for the flock full-time How how many hours a day? As many hours as asked. You see, the elders' job wasn't to allow women to go home. Actually, well, let's read on. Uh, Verse 12, Then they would be guilty of breaking the previous pledge, the pledge to the church that they'll come in as the church takes care of them and minister there. And if they're on the list... They will learn to be lazy and spend their time gossiping from house to house, meddling in other people's business and talking about things that they shouldn't. So I advise these younger widows to marry again, have children and take care of their own homes. Then the enemy will not be able to say anything against them. For I am afraid that some of them have already gone astray and now follow Satan. Oh, they're part of a Satanic coven. No, if you go back to Ephesians 2, which I'm not going to do today, it talks about what it looks like to follow Satan. It's to feed your flesh. That's what it looks like to follow Satan. Satan doesn't think he's going to get you to start walking around with a pitchfork, a black cape, and red eyes. That's not what he's planned. His plan is to get you to walk around with the King James Bible and to stick up your backside, telling everybody how righteous you are when in secret you are living like hell. Not the location, the description of a life lived like that. This is real. And too many of us are acting like it's not. And it's time to stop. Or walk away seriously we're not doing anybody any good the hateful rhetoric that comes from the right and the left many of them claiming to be believers makes no sense and that's just inside of the church the way that we talk to each other it's inappropriate it's not biblical Well, I'm just glad to be a part of the church that can speak openly to each other. That's code for, you need to guard your tongue. I love this. He even talks about the widows. Uh, I'm I'm afraid that some of them have gone astray and follow Satan. Verse 16, if a woman who is a believer has relatives who are widows, she must take care of them and not put the responsibility on the church. So even if you have a 60-year-old who's genuinely alone, but there are other widows in her family, he's saying, good, send her off to take care of them. Why? Because it's not good to retire. There's a new lesson for the church. There is no retirement for the child of God. So I can't stop being a teacher? Yes, you can. To that group over there. All of our retired teachers sit right over there. You can retire, but you better not stop serving. You can't stop living. You can't can't stay home and watch Oprah. Or Fox News. you got to keep going. you got to find a new ministry. Find a service. I'm glad you're not obligated to the city of Texas or Lufkin and Angelina County and the state of Texas and the federal government for how you make a living. That is awesome, but you can't stop. You can't stay home. You've got to find a place to serve. And maybe it's inside of the church. Maybe it's, maybe it's a, actually, I happen to know this. CISC is looking for volunteers. You can serve in CISC once a month. Well, I don't know what CISC is. Time you find out. You support them with your tithes or your giving every week. You support CISC. It's an organization that feeds those in our community that are less fortunate, takes care of them, finds out who they are, makes sure that they get the right amount of food for the number in their family. It's a phenomenal organization, and you can minister to them. We have a lot of you that serve in the Mosaic Center, a lot of you serve in Pregnancy Help Center, phenomenal organizations, but there are others. I just found this week that uh, Gloria Russell Ministry for Children is trying to start up some new clubs in the schools, and they want to do one uh, at the Boys and Girls Club. They're trying to look into that. That's a possibility. If if you are a retired teacher who misses ministering to children, I can hook you up. What? I'm so hip. Seriously. Robert Grimes can hook you up. If you want to do something more exciting than that, I want to do something for the kingdom. We will put you on a flight to Turkey and help you minister to refugees in a refugee camp. Well, that's a little rowdy. We'll hook you up with Franklin Graham. He'll fly you over there. Are you a doctor who's tired of doctoring? We'll put you on the front lines. Well, I I could get killed. Yep, you could die in the United States just like you can uh, Iran. Don't worry about it. It is what it is. We are here to serve until we die. And then we go into retirement but that's what we do. You know, you know the, the church has become about moralism and political things because we're so bored. In China this morning, there are millions of brothers and sisters gathering right now, worshiping God. And none of them are talking politics. Do you know why? Because they don't want to waste a moment of their time talking about things that don't really matter. They want to talk about God and love on each other. That's what we're supposed to be about. But we live in this awesome place where if you don't have the furniture you want in your house, you can go right up to Ashley and you can borrow money for 15 years and you don't have to start paying on it until the year 3,000. It's incredible. You can have anything you want here and just pay it off over time. And I'm telling you that Satan has used that to distract us from the battle at hand. The battle at hand. Fight the battle. It's going to be hard not to give into your flesh hard. It's going to be hard to do the right thing. It's going to be lonely out there to have people tell you that you're a religious zealot because you walk with Jesus. It's scary, but it shouldn't be scary in here. It shouldn't be scary in here. We should take care of each other. Let me get really specific. The message of the church is that God came to save sinners. Absolutely. As the family of God, the local church is not a business the adopted children of God. And our second responsibility after that message is to take care of each other, not the world, each other. This is where some of you are going to disagree. Spiritually, emotionally, physically, and even financially if necessary. We must take care of our own first. Okay? This is going to tick some of you off, so take a deep breath. This is absolutely consistent from the Old Testament all the way through to the New. If you were a Jew who were impoverished, you were allowed to go through after the harvest and there was a certain percentage of fruit that was to be left on the trees, and the Jews were allowed to go pick that off the trees, then those Gentiles who had been alienated into the nation of Israel, who had been allowed to immigrate into the nation of Israel, were then allowed to go and pick what was ever left on the tree that the Jews had not picked off and anything on the ground. When they were done, then those who were living within the nation's walls, who were not actually part of the nation, were then allowed to pick up off the ground. And anything left was a free-for-all for for whoever wanted it. God taught the Jews to take care of their own first. That's what families do. Do you know why? Let me tell you a story. Carpenter's Way has always been super good at taking care of of people's needs in the community and and reaching out. Actually, I'm going to expand that to the Bible Belt is really good at that. Most churches in Angelina County whether Methodist, uh, Catholic, Lutheran, actually it's part of their DNA to take care of people in need. That's why at Christmas, there are more gifts available than families def- necessarily that have need. At Halloween, that's why churches do trunk or treats. They take care of people who otherwise may not get stuff. A few years back, we used to do something like that. And one year, a lady came in, And uh, she brought her kids. We'd kind of changed from the big festival to Alicia started having a party and we would invite kids in and it would be an evangelism thing. Well, our goal was that the kids would come in and go to that and the parents could either sit with the kids or they could come in and join our adult Bible study. There was a couple ladies one time and they were sitting in the welcome area. They were obviously together. And I said, hey, you know, met them and it was a Wednesday night and I'm talking to them. And I said, "Uh, can I help you? And they said, no, no, we're doing fine. We just came to uh, drop our kids off for, you know, that party. I said, oh, you know, you can join them. No, it's too hot out there. We're going to let our kids go. I said, well, why don't you come join us in Bible study? She goes, oh, no, no, no. I don't want any of that. I came for the free stuff. <laughs> you know what? We're not supposed to give free stuff out. We're supposed to give Jesus out. And the truth is that within the body of Christ, as we take care of each other, the world should go, I want some of that. That's a benefit of being part of the family of God. I'm taken care of. I'm loved on. People speak truth to me. They help me when I have financial need. That's one of the benefits of being part of this. And that's one of the drawing cards to the lost. They're supposed to look at the church and go, well, how do I join? Join the family. You see, our Father taught us, and you go on and you present the gospel, that Jesus Christ came to save sinners, Gentiles, Jews, black, white, rich, poor, doesn't matter, gay, straight. He came for you. He came to save you. Well, I don't want any of that stuff. I just want the free stuff. Oh, I'm sorry. We're no longer in the free stuff business. We're in the Jesus business. Now, once you join the family of God, we will take care of you because that's what brothers and sisters do. It's part of our evangelism. But there is effectively no need anymore for people to be a part of the local church because we're giving it all away. And in fact, some of our own are hurting. Wow, that sounds kind of crazy. That's what he's talking about here. That's what happened in the nation of Israel. The truth is that God is right now, according to Romans, some of you know this, making the nation of Israel jealous by speaking to the Gentile church. That's Romans, I want to say, like 11 or 12. If you want to find it, email me, I'll tell you where it's at. I'm just pulling it off the top of my head right now. But he actually says, be careful, Gentiles, because the day is coming when Jesus is going to turn uh, God's going to turn his eyes back to the nation of Israel. But right now he's using you to make them envious. He's blessing the church. Evangelism is growing. We have an intimate relationship with God. And the Jews are going, Well, why don't we have that? You've got to meet him through the Messiah. What we have here is not for the lost. Everyone is not welcome to participate. The children of God are welcome to participate. So if you're here this morning, you're watching on the internet and trying to figure out if you like the church or not, that is the wrong question. The question is, do you want to die in your sins? Well, no. Then meet the Savior. Don't worry about us. Once you meet Him, immediately you're part of the family of God and you can come in and we'll minister to you and you minister to us. You participate. And by the way, financially as well as emotionally and spiritually, spiritually, We participate together, and we take care of each other so more people can be brought in. It's the family. And too often, we've lost that vision. And the church had lost its vision, and he's trying to call them back to it. You see, God is a God of order, not chaos, and he develops structure so that everything we do and everything that we are is a picture of God's grace to whoever wants it. If you don't want it, we don't give away free stuff. It's just not how it works. There's not enough money to give away free stuff. The fact is that everything we do is pointing people to the kingdom. By the way, I sat with those ladies and I explained that we don't give away free stuff except for the free gift of Jesus Christ. They both said they weren't interested. They got their kid and left. That's a success. We don't want them to leave. Absolutely, Jesus said it. Choose you this day who you're gonna serve. When did we decide that people's salvation is upon our shoulders? Our job is to tell the truth, is to love people into the kingdom or out of the kingdom. They're going to hate you if they choose to hate you. If they don't like Jesus, they're not going to like you. And we've got to quit apologizing for salvation through faith in Christ alone. I'm not embarrassed about that. Salvation is through faith in Christ alone. We shouldn't be embarrassed about that. do this or walk away from us, but we will not bow to anybody but Jesus. We won't bow. The truth is the truth, and our life should reflect that truth, how we take care of each other, how we love on each other, and how we love on the world. We invite them in, we give away in the office lots of gas vouchers and food vouchers. Lots. And we don't ask a lot of questions. But every time, I try to sit with them and I try to tell them, I want you to understand. Well, thank you, preacher. I'm, and everyone says they're going to come to church Sunday. If everybody we gave gas and money vouchers to came to church, you would have to stand in the back. Rarely do they show up. And I always stop and say, please don't make promises you won't keep. I just want you to know this is not a gift from me. Don't thank me. It's not a gift from It's not even really a gift from our church. It's a gift from our dad who loves you so much. He sent his son to save you. You run to him. Well, I just need to get gas right now. I understand. Here's your gas voucher. You see, since Jesus was walking the earth, people didn't really want salvation. They wanted food. So Jesus feeds the 5,000 plus women and children the next day, they want more food. And he says, I I can give you food that'll leave you never hungry again. You've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And it says the crowd left. Why? They didn't want salvation. They wanted the free stuff. There is no free stuff except salvation. It's what we do. These are our people, it's where we come from. I don't like my people, you don't have to. You'll fall in love with them though as you get to know them. The people around you are messed up, just the way they're supposed to be. We take care of each other, we grow each other up. We are a conglomerate of rich and poor, of white and brown, we are a conglomerate of gay and straight struggles around you and you don't even know. You don't even know. I know because I get texts. We are a conglomerate of people who have sexual tastes that would turn your stomach, and other people who don't struggle with sexual things at all. We got families falling apart, and we got families that are walking on on water. But we all have one thing in common: we need grace. And the second thing is we need each other. And if you're a widow, we'll take care of you. But we're going to judge you first. I don't want to be judged. That's how we do this. Paul said so. Well, this is kind of tough. That's why I blame Paul and not me. I'd have written it a whole lot different. But it's good. I'm going to end because I could keep rambling. Would you, uh, before I do, would you remind me again, the, you guys memorized the uh, Lord's Prayer in King James. So, so would you say that with me again? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, Thy kingdom come. Stop. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We have a tendency to sit back and say, get her done, God. We'll watch. What if? What if when you pray that God goes, Okay, thanks for praying that. Now you bring my policy plan from heaven to earth. Well, I don't want to do it. That's the plan. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it's done in heaven. So that's why I left you, church. I left you to act like heaven. I left you to treat each other like you're going to treat each other in eternity. I left you to to be an example of what is true. That's why you're here. So when you pray that, don't just ask him to do it. Tell him you're ready to do it. In fact, I want you to decide if you're ready to do it now. Now because it's time for us to do it different. Let's do it God's way. So what do I do, pastor? Just tell him you're ready. He'll tell you what to do. Let's close in prayer. Father, we do want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. We just don't necessarily want to be the means by which you do it. And now, Father, I ask that you make us the means by which you do it. Help us to long for your kingdom to be done on earth as it's done in heaven. Help us to have hearts for the saved, not just the lost. Help us to be vulnerable and transparent while being truthful and loving. And that's impossible with man, but with God, all things are possible. Make us like you. In your holy name we pray, amen. Bible study's gonna start in 10 minutes. You'll be discussing these things, so go do it. Have a great Sunday. Tonight's worship, 6.30.